Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, I taped the uh, podcast with Kevin McHale, which is a big deal for me if you guys listen to the show at all. You know I grew up loving the Celtics in the 80s, so this isn't quite Larry Bird, but it's about as close as I'm going to get. Getting to talk to Kevin McHale for 40 minutes. It was pretty good. A little forward. We were kind of running against the clock a little bit, so it felt a little rushed, but you did a pretty good job. We have, we have an intro, though. I have two special guests before Kevin McHale. Even bigger guests than Kevin McHale. Harry Minahan and Kate Minahan. I had to drag in here to tape this. I'm on Dabby duty today. What's going on? Not much. Not much. No? No. So, uh, um, you see Ken here, the producer of my show? Yeah. Yep. He had a thing. You wanted to me and Mr. Callahan to talk about the things we don't like about each other a couple of weeks ago. It didn't work out that well because we get along so well. But I was wondering if you two, because you've been you know, hanging around each other for the last week going a little stir crazy, I'll start with Harry. Harry, what is driving you crazy about Kate right now? Go ahead. Um, when she's being funny. That drives you crazy? Yeah. You get mad at her ever? Sometimes. But you get along okay with her? Yeah. Oh, okay. You had more problems You driving in. You had a big problem with her. You said she was being rude. What happened? Okay, good. Solid. Kate, what's your problems with Harry? Um, he always is breaking some of my things. Yeah. And Kate is always trying to copy me or like know whatever I am. Right. And we have the big news that we're going to break on the Enough About Me podcast. We've decided to do it here. Harry Minahan has a girlfriend, right, Kate? Yep. Is that right, Harry? Yep. What's her name? Lizzie. Are you going to marry her? No. No, but you do love her? Yeah. That's fantastic. That's I all. That's... If mommy, I wonder if mommy's watching us. <laughs> We're gonna, I, she's probably going to hear you a lot. Maybe grandma will hear you too. <laughs> I expect a little more anger. There's a little more anger between you two driving in here. I thought you guys have a good fight. Come I'll on. Know. What's that statue behind you of? <laughs> that, I don't know what that statue is. <laughs> anything else, Kate, you have to say? Not much. No? Harry, but, anything else you want to say? Well, but... Um, oh, good. Harry, wait one second. Let's but Daddy said if we move to Maine, he'll buy me a horse. That's true. If we move to Maine, I would buy you a horse because I do want to live in Maine. I'm sick of living in Massachusetts. Harry, do you want to live in Maine? Oh, yes. How come? Because it's fun. What shoes do you have on right now? Messy. Messy shoes? Yep. What number is Messy. Ten Barcelona. Ten for Barcelona. That, and that's how you feel about Messi is how I felt about Larry Bird and Kevin McHale growing up. So I talked to Mr. McHale today on the podcast. He was one of my heroes growing up. Uh, oh. Is that fascinating? Uh, yeah. You can listen to the podcast? Yeah. You can listen maybe. to the podcast, Kate? Maybe. maybe. You yeah. don't listen to it ever, right? Do you listen maybe. to the show at all? Well, I have podcasts on my phone. I, I never listen to your I show. I touch. Whatever. You never listen to the show? But I sometimes, but I sometimes watch you on TV. Oh, Mr. Tangway? Yeah. What do you think of that show? Good. Yeah. And Mr. Rob is here today, your godfather. He set you guys up with some TV? Yep. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. So it's Kevin McHale and Daddy on the podcast. And usually, sometimes I'll do this with Ben, my producer for this show, but you guys are filling in as my co-host leading into today. Anything else before we go? Yeah, right. Okay. Kate? Um, Maybe. Oh, any other thoughts I'm saying? I know. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Harry, Rogue One, good or bad? Bad. What? It was good, but like... No, like a lot of people died. That's true. Yeah, the whole team died. That's it true. Was... If you're in your car right now, sorry about that. If you listen to the podcast, everybody dies, right, Harry? Yeah. Yes. Sorry, peoples. We don't mean to spoil anything. (laughs) Sorry, peoples. I don't. I hope you build Rogue Two better. (laughs) On that note, we will begin the podcast with uh, Kevin McHale of Turner Sports, who is uh, kind enough to come on to talk about. uh, We're taping this Thursday. Thursday's Cavalier Celtics game. It's on the twenty ninth. I know what day of the week. I'm saying. Oh. Celtics Cavaliers tonight. You big Harry. Cel- yep. You big Celtics <laughs> fan, Harry, or no? Yeah. Who's your favorite player in the Celtics? Larry Bird. Exactly right. Who's your favorite player in the Patriots? Tom Brady. Um, Edelman and Tom Brady. Excellent. So Kevin McHale of Turner Sports. I, I told him I think he's the best power forward who ever lived. Best defensive and offensive combination. Didn't have the longest career, but was the best. And by far the most post-up player of all time. My oh, second yeah. favorite Celtic growing up. Harry. Harry joins me on the Enough About Me podcast. Harry! Harry! Bye! This is pretty exciting, uh, I think, for both of us, because Kevin McHale is the greatest low-post player in basketball history. And growing up in Winchester, Massachusetts, in the 80s, I was the best five foot four post player, Kevin, in Winchester. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I, had the, I had the drop step. I had the fadeaway. I had the, I had the up and under. I had it all. That's, that's one thing I always say growing up here. You know, like I said, I was in the 80s. I was, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. If you went and watched, like, a youth game, basketball, it was Winchester, Lexington, any town, you saw a bunch of kids trying to do what you did. Posting up, and you saw a bunch of kids trying to shoot left-handed like Bird did. So it was some weird basketball if you watched it. <laughs> yeah, no, that would um, that was I wouldn't recommend that for eight nine years old. Yeah, it's a little more advanced. I think they uh, they got to wait till they get into high school to do that. But uh, especially the left-handed shooting like Larry. Well, did you? Uh, your post play was was so different, and you know I would say for me. The three best post players I've ever seen are you, Elijah Wan, and Duncan. But I put you first. Did you? How did you learn that? Where did you watch that growing up? Or was that something that just sort of you found on your own? Well, you know, uh, my coaches. We had a lot of just very basic stuff. A lot, a lot of pivoting. A lot of you know, getting the ball and staying low and pivot off your left foot, pivot off your right foot, and it was pivot, 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 shot, pivot, 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 pass, and so. Uh, I was smaller back then when I first started playing. I, 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 I grew a little bit later. So I played against a lot of bigger guys, and I had to learn how to get up you know, under them, you know, try to trick them a little bit. It all really came off the ability to stay low and pivot and have balance. And uh, So I, I kind of just, um, just just developed a lot of that stuff you know, growing up against bigger guys and then uh, um, started doing you know, more of it in college. I played against a you know, different level of person. Then you got in the NBA. It was the same thing. You had to... You had to trick some people. You had to go up over people. So you know, I really did a lot more of it in uh, in, in in the pros. In the college, I, you know, I was you know, being the biggest guy. You just shoot over the top of them. But in the pros, when you play against guys that are like size or bigger than you, um, you know, you've you've got to be able to have some moves and do some stuff. And so it just you know, it just kind of evolved over the years. But started when I was a young kid. Did you uh, when you watch the you know you coach in the league, you're an executive in the league. When you watched it over the last 15, 20, 25 years since you've retired. I mean, there must be some guys you've watched over the last that that quarter century, and you must say, "This guy is this talent. This guy is this." If I could work with him for a day, 
if I could work with him for a week, he'd be that much better. I mean, there must be guys you watch right now and say, you know, can't you just learn two or three simple post-up moves? Yeah, really. Learn one. Learn how. Learn how. Learn how to attack and get a shot off. You know, going right and learn how to attack and get a shot off going left. I mean, that's really as simple as it comes to. You know, when you when you get down to the post, you've got to be able to get down there. You know, get your back to the basket and be able to go over your left shoulder, your right shoulder off of one dribble. But you've got to be able to go somewhere with that one dribble. So it's 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 uh, yeah. I look at that right now, and the you know, there's not there's very few guys that even go down there to even play down there anymore. The game's evolved so much, and uh, Everybody's a stretch for everybody's shooting from the outside, you know, playmaking from the top of the key. If you're a big guy, it's huge now. I think that's one of the things that the Celtics uh, are going to start playing better. You know, they, they, need, they, they need to have all their big guys up there being, you know, Horford, and, you know, Linux, and those guys making plays from the top. That's a huge part of today's games. Whereas when I played, it, the, a big part of the game was who could dominate the paint low by the basket, you know, who, who could be the most effective team. Uh, jamming it inside, getting those tough inside points, uh, you know, being rebounding the ball, blocking shots, protecting the rim. Uh, but the game has changed now. You know, the, the team with the, that leads the league in in, uh, in uh, shot blocking is Golden State, right? And you look at them, and they play hell. They play without a center ninety percent of the time. So the game has really evolved and changed. But I still think there's 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 a there's a spot in the league for for you know getting getting those points down low and it slows down the momentum of the other team. I think it'll evolve around again where you'll see some bigs play in the post. But right now, that draw of playing on the perimeter, um, shooting threes and being a playmaker seems to take all the big guys out of the post. Well, it's wild. I mean, you look back at the stats, say, you know, like Bird, who I think is, you know, as good a shooter as anybody in history. You know, in a, in a big year for him, you know, he might take 100 threes or 120 threes. I mean, now, you know, Curry will do that, you know, in three weeks yeah yeah, it, it is amazing back then when i first got in the league uh the three was only used kind of a, as, as a late shot clock if you were caught out of position you took a three or more if you were it, the, the way it was used mostly was um late in the game you know you're down nine with a minute and a half to go you say okay we gotta take some threes but you didn't take them throughout the course of the game larry would have Larry was a great three-point shooter. You know, he was so strong and big, and he had those big, strong wrists. And so he just flicked the ball. If Larry had played in today's game, I mean, he'd be he'd be living out in that three-point line and taking a million of them. Uh, but he did, that just wasn't the way the game was played. And so, it, you know, yeah, I agree. It's just, it's just it's different. And had Larry had the had Larry and Pete Maravich and some of those other guys that that had unbelievable range, uh, you, you use the three-point line like they did today. They, you know, their stats will look a whole lot different. That's you, for sure. You know, it was a pretty good three-point shooter at the end of his career. It was Kevin McHale. <laughs> well, I used to shoot a few every once in a while. We'd monkey around in practice and shoot them. And yeah, but the last few I, years, yeah, though, you, I, you, you took you took you took some last couple of years. Yeah, I did. I took I took a few. You know, as you got a little older and beat up, it's right. just you know, easier to come down and not. Uh, not go in that post and fight everybody about the whole game. And yeah, I took a few threes once in a while. But but again, you know, I, um, that was just that was later on in my career. And the three point line started becoming a little bit more, you know, used a little differently uh, back then. But still, nothing like it is today. Today's game is completely different. And uh, if I was playing again today, I'd still do still do the same thing. Go down the low post and you know try to try to try to create havoc. Try to create double teams. Try to get the other team in foul trouble. There's a lot of benefits for getting the ball in the paint, um, you know that that you don't see in a lot. Of, a lot you, you'll watch two teams now play, and neither one will be in the penalty at right. the end of the quarter. 
And our big thing was we tried to get in the penalty. It was it was huge if you could get in the penalty before the six minute mark. If you could spend more than half the penalty, half the period in the penalty, it just it just puts so much pressure on the other team not to follow. There's two free throws every time they touch you. So a uh, different game, but but you know, like I say, I, I enjoy today's game. It's uh, it's different, but it's fun to watch for me. It's yeah, and, you're, and Kevin's here to talk, talk about the Celtics uh, Cavs game tonight, and we'll get to that obviously. But when I have somebody like this, given I'm from here, I grew up here, and the '80 Celtics were my life. It's hard for me not to ask at least a few questions. When you look at the the, uh, it's the ultimate question. It was debated last year: '86 Celtics versus say the Warriors, or say you know a, a team that, like that. For me, for my money, I don't think there's a team in history that would beat that 86 Celtics team at its best. I know you're biased, but I'd be curious what you think on that. It would be so different. But, you know, we just we just weren't built to go small like that. And we stayed big and we kept pounding you. Um, it would be, I mean, Clay Thompson would be guarding Larry. Uh, believe me, Larry would go in the post steady. Uh, right. You know, Draymond Green would be guarding me or Robert. Um, that wouldn't work out well for him. He's just too small. And uh, but on the other end, they're going to be shooting threes. It's going to be a different game. But I, I, I just think I've I've often said you're you're going to you're going to have more bad games from twenty three feet. You know, shooting twenty four feet, shooting long threes, and those guys they end up shooting some unbelievably long threes than you are from three feet. Uh, you're going to have a hell of a lot more success from three feet than you are from 23 feet over the course of the game. So if we just kept pounding them in, inside, and, and the thing I think that everybody forgets is that um, a lot of that inside action just led to a lot of free throws. And the game gets slowed down, and, and it gets muddied up. And, um, you know, we, we you, you any team right now in today's game has a hard time guarding uh, Golden State's three-point um, barrage shooting that they have. But you're just going to have to keep them in front of you, keep a hand up, and just and just figure out the odds are that you're just going to keep pounding away. So I like, I think we'd beat them just just because I think we were a much stronger rebounding team and you know much bigger team. And, and, and but you know it, it it would be interesting. It would be really a clash of uh, a clash of two styles. That's for sure. Do you think it's a trap? Like uh, I feel like as I get older, I do this, and I wonder if the generation before you guys, you know, the the Wests and the Russells, felt that way. I felt like basketball was better. I felt that the players were tougher. I felt like this. I felt like that. Is that a simple generational trick, or is there some truth in it? Was basketball better 20 or 30 years ago, or is that just me being nostalgic? Well, I think part of a little bit of nostalgia, and I think a little bit of it is, is actual. Um, you know, I, I think that there was there was more. The, the the rules were different. They allowed for more physicality. It allowed you to you know, you know kind of carve out space more. It allowed, it allowed you to hold and push a little bit more. It allows you to put more force on the other people on the other team, physically wise. Where you don't see a lot of that right now in uh, in, in in today's game. But you know, I, I think the spacing and the ball movement on the good teams, like you know, the bad teams, I've always been bad about moving the ball. Guys hold it; it's all one on one. But that was there, there were bad teams back when you know when I played in the '80s too, that didn't have ball movement. But the good teams really move the ball. The good teams move bodies. There's cutting. There's moving. And you know when you watch, I I watch every once in a while. There'll be someone will put a highlight, send me a highlight film of the you know eighty Celtics and just kind of a, a montage of like the eighty six season. It's amazing the amount of ball movement, well, body movement. Right. The passing was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It's really really fun to watch. Um, I see that. I see some of that. You know when I watch. Um, 
Uh, the Spurs, when they're really playing well, they move the ball, they pop the ball. You know, Golden State and some of the better teams, you know, the Celtics have a lot of assists now with this team and how they play. And so, you know, I, I think the best teams have always understood that ball movement, body movement is really hard to guard in our league. And, uh, but I, but so I think that the ball movement, body movement is, you know, I, I, you know, there's always good and bad teams with that. But it was a lot more physical. There's no question. But the, the rules dictate that. You know, the rules have gotten to the point right now where there's just there's just none. There's no physicality left in the game. Well, if you if you did today, right, uh, what you did to Rambus, you know, in '84, that would be the biggest story in the country for like three days. People would be calling for you to be kicked out of the league. Yeah, no, I know. I didn't even get a. I didn't even get a tennis you didn't, on that. You didn't even get a T for it. And Parrish did not get it. I don't think Parrish got a technical. When he punched Lambeer in the face, I don't think. No, Bill had that coming. Even the referees knew that. They were like, go ahead and hit him. You know, just, but only a couple times. You know, we can't let this get out of hand. Right. And uh, then we'll play because no one liked Bill. Even the refs didn't like Bill. If you see, if you see, like, uh, if you walked into a room today, you just walked into a room and you were waiting for an interview or something, and Lambeer was the other guy in the room, like, would you, if you talked to him, would you talk to him or do you, do you actually still hate him 30 years later? <laughs> I don't really hate him. I don't, no? I don't I don't have much. I don't, know, I don't know if I have much to say to him. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I'm totally ambivalent, you know. Right now, there's most a lot of those guys, like Isaiah Thomas and I, were friends, and before, you know, the Detroit, um, uh, Boston kind of, you know, series and all mm-hmm. the, all the fights we had with those guys and stuff. And so I see Isaiah, Isaiah now, and it's it's good to see him. I always like Joe Dumars, and you know, some but some of those guys I just don't see, uh, and uh, it doesn't bother me not to see Bill Lambert. Let me tell you that. <laughs> But I mean that 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 rivalry I thought was obviously I thought particularly tense. Probably I would say, but when I look back on it, it's funny growing up. You know when I did when people say Celtics Lakers, you know it was a rivalry in the eighties. I understand that it was no question with Bird Magic and all you guys. But the most intense rivalry that I remember was still the Sixers before you know eighty four say eighty one eighty two eighty three. That always seemed to me to be the most tense. Yeah, that was the that was the first rivalry I ever got involved in in the NBA it was the Sixers uh, Celtics, and that was huge. I mean, that was like the year before I got there. The Sixers had beaten them in the conference finals. They wanted revenge. I mean, you know, so I got kind of thrown in the middle of that, and there was a huge rivalry. And back then, there were less teams, and you played the teams in your division six times, and it seemed like you played them all late in the year. So we we'd play Philly. Well, first of all, we played them in like three or four exhibition games, which is a bad move. Because we kept on everybody, you know, the more you played against each other, the more you disliked each other. Right. And then we'd play them a ton, and and in the season, and then we'd play them in the playoffs. And that was a, that, I agree that that to me was my first test, uh, first taste of a NBA, NBA rivalry, and that was really really intense. And then the Lakers Celtics, you know, but the Lakers Celtics really kind of started in the Indiana State Michigan State right. game in seven. So, you know, that was Larry Magic, mm-hmm. and then you had the league. Just turning with David uh, Stern, turning the league from you know the games were the games uh, in '81, the finals were tape delayed. They started you know they started at 11:30, right? And um, in in in, um, in Boston and 10:30 back in Minnesota, back where I was, my parents, you know, they had to stay up you know till 10:30 to start watching the game. And then David Stern's vision of the league, and then Larry and Magic, and then then the Lakers and the Celtics. That was all just a huge, great, big you know f- uh, kind of storm of. Um, just a lot of stuff stemming from that '79 uh, Indiana State Michigan State, you know that which, which was an amazing you know game that so many people watched, and that was really the start of the league. So in my in my mind, Larry and Magic really kind of resurrected the NBA and t- 
turned it turned it into what it is now. They they, they really started that, and the Celtics Lakers Lakers rivalry was huge in that. You know, I've read a lot, and I've talked to guys like Bob Ryan and Ordway, who I know about your relationship with Bird, and it always seemed like Bird. The, the you know the 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 image, the story of it was Bird was a super driven guy, and you were the laid back guy. And I wonder how much truth there is to that. I mean, is that sort of a, a narrative, a myth, or is a reality to that? Well, we were different in some ways, but we were very similar in other ways. You know, Larry and I are still good friends. Um, you know, I mean, Larry Larry was more quiet than I was. I you know I, I was I was. You know, I was, you know, a little bit before the games. Larry was, Larry, Larry had his routine. I had my routine, but, you know, it, it, they were different. But, you know, my routine, I, you know, and I never shared it. But, and, and, you know, the funny thing, I never shared much of anything that I did, you know, privately with the media. I just, I, I don't know. I just kind of had my own little thing. And, you know, at, at, when, when, after shoot around game days, I mean, I would sit there, I'd go through every, every, you know, everybody on their team, how they guarded me, how hard to guard them, you know, what were their favorite plays, what they run late. And, you know, so I had a checklist that I went through my mind all day of the day of games. So when the game started, I, you know, I, I had really checked all the boxes and was really ready to go. So I had a, I spent, I spent, you know, hours and hours and hours preparing to play basketball. I just, you know, that was just one of those things. That was just what I did. But, uh, you know, uh, Larry did it his way, but he was more quiet, you know, got to the game, but, Larry was really a fun guy, and I think that's what everybody forgets. You know, there, there's Larry was just a really a fun guy to be around, and once you knew him, he was funny, uh, very sarcastic, had a great sense of humor. So we, we like I, as I've told many people, we spent many many nights sitting around having a few beers, having a lot of laughs. So uh, he was a great teammate, and you know, like I say, he and I are still really good friends to this day. Does it feel strange to you that, that neither one of you guys are, are members of like the Celtics organization? I mean that you that you that you haven't been, and it's been this you you've, you've been in Houston, you've been in Minnesota. Obviously, Bird's been in Indiana. Does it feel strange that you've never been you know post playing career part of the Celtics organization? Well, I'm I feel like I'm part of the organization because Danny, yeah, Danny calls me up and he picks my brain all the time, and uh, <laughs> no, we talk. Danny and I talk quite a bit, and I still follow the Celtics, and so. You know, that's just, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, our, our Larry went back to Indiana where he's from. I went back to Minnesota where I was from, and, you know, he stayed there and, you know, has worked with the Pacers for so long. And I worked for the Cel- I worked for the uh, Timberwolves for a long time, went down to Coast Houston, and um, now I'm doing the TNT and, and stuff. So, it just you know, your life just takes you to different places, and I think Danny's done a wonderful job. Danny's been great uh, for the Celtics, and, I, you know, really it's fun for me to have him there running the team. You know, like whenever I want to talk basketball, whenever I want to talk Celtics, I call him up and we talk. And uh, um, also, it, it, it really keeps me. I always cheer for him, but really, I have more incentive now to, with with Danny as the um, as the GM and stuff to just you know watch the team more and be involved more. So when I come out in the, whenever I come out, I go over to the office and uh, you know, Danny and I sit around. We talk basketball. We talk draft choice. Talk a bunch of stuff. Do you uh, do you get the do you get the feeling when you when you watch them or you you know talking to Ainge the last couple of years, it does seem like he's done about as good a job as you can do building a team without a superstar player if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I like their team. They're scrappy. They're you know they're starting to get back to playing kind of the way they played more last year. You know, but they had lost big guys, and and then their offense, uh, Brad Stevens' offense, needs those big guys to be able to make plays from the top, keep the ball moving, swing through them, and get from side to side, and uh, you know, keep that ball movement going. But I, I, yeah, I really like what their team has done. You know, little Isaiah Thomas is becoming just an unbelievable player for them and just putting up phenomenal numbers. I just hope that, you know, somewhere along the line there can be one more 
one more move that Danny can do that can just kind of bring that guy in there and take all these really, really good pieces and turn them into a, that next level. Like, I, you know, I, I'd like to see them take one more jump where they can compete, um, you know, with the Clevelands for that, um, you know, Eastern Conference Championship, which isn't easy. Cleveland's a hell of a team, but they're not that far away, and he's done a great job, and he still has a lot of assets. You know, he's still got the New Jersey pick, or mm-hmm. excuse me, the Brooklyn pick. Right. He's got a lot of assets, so I, I, I do believe he's trying. I just... You know the type of players that he probably needs just don't come on the on the market all that that much. But when they do, he's got to be ready to go. I'm curious. But you know, you said you were friendly with Isaiah before the before that rivalry started. I'm sure you're friends with other guys. You know, you see, and these guys all get knocked for it now. You know, LeBron did in Miami and Durant did. Do you think if you had had that opportunity, say in '84 or '85, and the league was set up then like it is now, is there a chance you would have called Isaiah Thomas if you were a free agent or called? you know, some other star player, another city somewhere and say, Hey, let's go to this city together and try and win the title. Well, you know, if, if, if you're playing on a terrible team, right. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, obviously you would want titles yeah. already, but yeah, no, not, not, not when you're playing a good, now if you were on a franchise and you just didn't see any hope, that's what like, I mean. Yeah. Feel, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think that I, you know, I, yeah. If you think, boy, I'm not just going to be able to get it done here. I just don't think, you know, that I, I, I need to play with another level of, uh, players to get a championship or or my team is just a a level or two lower than what we need to be and I don't see any help on the horizon I think you I think you I I could see I could see people doing that like I you know that wasn't even an option for us but if if you were on a really bad team and you know and and you were you know putting up big numbers and not winning well who cares I mean yeah that I, I you know I never was really worried about numbers you know, anyways, and that was just different different era now where numbers mean everything. But um, yeah, that you know, winning is the only really fun thing about the NBA. When you're winning, it, it, it's it's fantastic. You know, the the games you go out there, you compete. It, it you know, the, the 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 winning winning is the ultimate goal, and that's just so enjoyable. If you're not winning, I can see why guys could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you have a strange situation, and help walk me through this. So, in the eighties, there was a year where you were a restricted free agent. The Knicks wanted to sign you, but Red put like about forty poison pills in contracts with the Knicks. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. It was the first time there was any any kind of free agency. Really, it was restricted. It was very different than it is now. And um, it's like eighty four, maybe. Eighty four, uh, maybe. It was it was um, eighty three summer of eighty three. Okay, and. Uh, Going into the 83-84 season, and uh, Larry Fleischer, who was the head of the Players Association, um, you know, had told me, "Well, boy, you know, if you use this system to change teams, it would be great. It'll start a whole ball rolling." And I'm like, "I don't want to go to New York. I'm right. playing Boston." Right. And so that thing started getting kind of all built up, and and um, I really didn't. You know, I wanted to stay in Boston. Casey Jones had just been named. Um, the head coach and I, you know, I love Casey and he was he was just a great guy and, and I there, there was there was never I did not want to leave uh, you know Boston but I you know part of it was uh, the new system up and the guy said hey you got to talk to these teams I mean so I was kind of the guinea pig in this system but at the end of the day I think Larry knew I Fleischer I told Larry I said, I'm not going I'm, I'm I'm staying in Boston now I you know yeah you you you, you We'll talk to some teams. We'll do some stuff just to you know to look at the system. It was very very new back then, but no. At the end of the day, look at my heart was in Boston. I, I wanted to stay there. What kind of uh, like having obviously around him for a long time? 
how would Red Auerbach do in today's NBA with the with with star players? With the you know, I mean, listen, players have changed. I mean, it's just a George Carl talked about. You've dealt with other guys, have I me mean, players now. Whether the egos are bigger or not, there there are other things going on with social media. How would Red Auerbach today in 2016, now almost 17, uh, do running a professional basketball team? I do great. You know, Red Red was just just straightforward, no BS, and that's the thing is that you know Greg Popovich is is, is, is you know that's true. Like, like Red used to be. I mean, Red just told you the truth, and if you didn't like it, that's on you. And so he just challenged you. He wanted you to get better. He told you what he thought. Um, he, but he, what Red was able to do, and it started, you know, with his ability to get all those guys, you know, Russell and Kuzi and, you know, the Jones boys and, you know, and uh, uh, Hawk Heinsohn and Hondo. He got all those guys to play together and buy in. Red had a great ability to put team first and explain it and get guys that wanted to be there, you know, team first guys and guys that would come off the bench and be a six man and not worry about it. And, you know, just winning was the only thing. And Red, that's, Red really just wanted to win. And that came across in him. Red would do fine in today's. You know, Red would be one of those guys that people would say, well, you know, he doesn't always tell me what I want to hear, but he tells me what he's thinking. And there's really no BS with Red and his loyalty and his, um, all all of the things that made Red unique are still there, would you know, still be there in today's game, and you would see it, and you would have no problem. I would have no problem if I was today's player playing for Red Arback, none whatsoever. Obviously, the sports are different, and their personalities are different. But Belichick reminds me of Arback in a lot of ways. You know that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Belichick's another guy like that. Just straightforward. This is what it is. I don't have an agenda. My agenda is to win the game. You may have a million different agendas, which is great for you. But when you come here, you got to you got you got to be on my you're, you're you're you know you're on my time now, and my time is winning time. My time is let's put all that silliness aside. Let's just get to this and let's cut through this stuff. And um, if you're doing things I don't want you to do, I'm going to tell you, and it's going to be blunt. It's, I'm not I'm not going to sit down in my office and then give you know, oh I'm so happy for you. I mean you know you, no you're going to get the you're going to get the real truth really fast. Then you're going to get up and you're going to have a decision to make. Are you going to be part of the team? Are you going to do what's right? Are you going to do what? Are you going to do what our culture says that you do that we win? Or are you not? And if the answer is no, then you're going to be somewhere else. It, it's not really difficult. Did and you have guys that Red had that down to a T? Did you have guys who came in during the '80s? And obviously, free agency wasn't as big back then. Did you have guys come in who just didn't didn't fit it? Didn't didn't fit into that mold, and then they were gone. No, we had a very, very strong team, especially, you know, we came back from 3-1 in 81 against right. Philly in, in, the, in the conference uh, finals and won. And so that the nucleus of that team came in, and that team had a really, really strong personality. And whoever came in just kind of um, um, just really kind of fit in. And uh, um, there was really never any issues about that stuff with, with players. It just was like, I think, I think the collective strength of that team and then their personality and all of their uh, just 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 kind of all how we were just overrode any one person that came in and tried to be disruptive it wasn't I mean hey if you're here you're here to win if you're here um, this is how we're going to play and if you don't well then you're just not going to play and uh, everybody wanted to play back then and so every, everybody everybody bought in but I, I you know going full circle I don't see any problem with red you know, being being involved in today's game and being ultra successful. 
Do you have any regrets uh, physically, or, or did it shorten your career playing in the playoffs in '87 with that broken foot, or no? Uh, you know, no. I mean, it's, you know, it still bothers me a little bit to you know, get the bad foot. I later on, I had really bad sprains, and you played on it, and you know, I. I but but that's just kind of what you did back then. I don't know. I don't have any regrets. I think, you know, you like to think you'd be a lot smarter now, and there's you know the training techniques and. Um, the amount of the amount of staff and, and you know, how concerned they are about you as a, as you know physically wise is completely different now than it was back then. But nah, I don't I don't you know I don't have any regrets. It's, you know it, it is what it is. I, at the time, you know, if I had to do it over again. You told me that we had a great opportunity to win a championship in in 1987, and I would have four championships instead of three. I'd do it again. Do you miss the, uh, you know, I, I go to some Celtics games and Bruins or whatever. I walk in the building. I still think of the old garden every time I walk in there. I would imagine you must feel the same way. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's no there's no comparison between, you know, the old garden and the new garden. You know, for all the, for all the um, you know, the, the new millennials and, and everybody, I'm sure, that, you know, the new garden is a fantastic place you go there. But there was nothing like the old garden. There was nothing like the old garden. I mean, I went to a lot of Bruins games there. They're fun to watch. Um of course, I played my whole career there, and it was just a, it was really a, just a cool old building. I had great, uh, you know, the old organ player up there, no dancing girls, no nothing, but yet it had an unbelievable vibe during games, and it was really, really fun. You know, guys, would, friends of mine would come from around the country, and they'd, they'd go to a game there, and they just would go like, wow, man, that's just a cool place to, you know, to watch a basketball game. And I'd say, yeah, it's just, it's phenomenal. So, I mean, but I think the old, I feel the same way when I go in Chicago Stadium. It's nothing like the old Chicago Stadium. I walk in, you know, the old, the old madhouse on Madison. You walk in, walk in the old one. That thing had all kinds of characters. This new one, they're all just big, very, you know, they, they look sanitized, big, big buildings. Those the other buildings had a lot of, uh, just a lot of character. You want, do you want to coach again? Uh, I remember, you know, Bird talked about he, he wouldn't hire you. He said he had too much respect for you, which I thought was kind of odd, but I also understood it. Do you want to be a head coach again in the NBA, or, or you think you're done? Mm, I don't. It, it would have to be almost just the perfect situation, and that doesn't really come up that often. Uh, you know, it's it's just a it's a lot, a lot of work. You're dealing with a lot of different personalities. You're dealing with a lot of stuff. And to try to get to the just the basic, um, what I talked about earlier, hey, look, this is how we do things. Winning is the most important thing. You're either in or out. Um, that's hard. That's hard to. Um, that's hard to get on teams. I think. I think with certain teams you have that. I think that. Um, I think the guys on the Warriors they go out and they play. And I kind of laughed earlier this summer when they were saying, "Well, boy, KD joined the team. There's going to be friction." And you know, how many shots is Clay going to get? How many shots is Steph going to get? Like you don't determine how many shots you get in August for a game in December. The game determines how many shots you get. You watch them play. The hot man gets the ball. That's the way. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's why they're fun for me to watch. Uh, same thing with the Celtics. The Celtics play a lot of players. You know, they, you know, right now, and they, they, they get, you know, the ball finds the, the right guy. The ball moves and stuff. It's hard to get teams playing like that. And uh, and if you had a team like that, yes, it's fun. If you have a team where you're fighting them constantly to share with each other. And, and play for each other, and you know, eh, it's not fun. But TV is fun, right? I mean, I, I do some. It's just, it's just easier, right? You'd rather do TV than coach. Yeah, TV is a lot easier. I promise you that. And uh, the, the TNT and Turner people are fantastic. So I have a ball doing this. I'm happy right now. And Celtics, Cavs tonight. And I, like you said, it seems to me with the Celtics team. I mean, I, I hate to say it, the Spurs are playing well. We know that, but it does feel like we're on a collision course for Golden State, Cleveland again. I do not see a scenario 
in which the Celtics team can beat this Cleveland team four times out of seven. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. I, I think the way they're currently uh, constructed, I don't think I, I just think they need another really, really dynamic player that can make huge plays late and you know, a guy that can kind of carry the team a little bit. Like uh, LeBron is able to take um, uh, Cleveland through a lot of different uh, ups and downs in, in, in a game and keep them competitive and give them a chance to win late. Um, but I, I really think that Boston's on that cusp. I think I think they can I think they can beat a Toronto team. I think they can get to the finals, and then you know once you get to the conference finals, everything uh, everything changes. But it, you know it, it'll be a great test. And I, again, I like <clears throat> when I first the, the, when the season started, it just didn't look like the old Celtics team of last year. They just they I don't know. There's something there's something missing. They seem to have this, but you know some, they had some injuries. They had some guys out. But they didn't have that same vibe. Now you're starting to see it. You know, they they can kind of get down and dirty. They can throw you, you know, Smart and Jay Crowder and Bradley out there across the, you know, one, two, and three, and just hold and grab you and beat you up a little bit. They're they're getting they're faster to loose balls again. They're coming up with all the loose scrappy stuff. Uh, Horford's fitting in. Uh, Olenek and Horford and some of those guys from the top can make plays and you know get guys off. I, I you, can, you know their their depth of their team and kind of. Their strength in numbers, which they have in that team, is starting to show again, and that's that's how they have to play. If they play like that and keep playing this way, take this into the playoffs, they'll have a great chance to make a nice little playoff run. But again, I you know, just being just being truthful, <coughs> excuse me, I just don't see them beating Cleveland. You know, I just I just think Cleveland's one level one level up. Is Brad Stevens as good a coach as as people say he is? Is is the national people? Is the local people? Everyone you know looks at him as one of the elite coaches in the NBA. He hasn't done a lot in the postseason yet, but would you put him right up there? Yeah, I think Brad does a great job. I think you know I think Brad's first year it was a huge move. You go from Butler, you know, come to Boston. It's end of game situations. There's there's a ton of stuff that you've got to kind of get get your arms wrapped around if you're. Um, if you're Brad, and it's a it's a complete different uh, different game, and I, I thought I thought um, I liked a lot of stuff. I thought he grew tremendously from his first year to his second year. I really did, and and I just think he's grown from there, and he keeps on getting better. And he runs some really interesting side out of bounds, um, uh, baseline out of bounds stuff. I just think I think he's uh, very creative, and, I, and it seems to me that. Um, you know, he doesn't put himself above everybody. Like, you know, this is not the Brad Stevens show. This is the Boston Celtics show, and he's part of it. And he's got a lot, a lot of players on that bench. And, you know, you know, he's trying, trying to fit everybody into a rotation and making sure that they play enough on a nightly basis to keep their rhythm. It's tough. I mean, you know, they, 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 you know that he's, he doesn't have an easy job. He's got a lot of guys that are very similar. A lot of guys that probably are very um, equal in their abilities. It's always easier when you're, when you're, when you're, uh, your team is formed. You got a superstar. You got a really good second player. You know your third, fourth, fifth. It, it, li- it lines out like that. Everybody knows their role. But he's done a good job of just you know with this team, and I think he's a fantastic coach. Do you think it's too complicated now? I mean, when you played in the '80s, you had you know two assistant coaches. Now you have you know five or six. You have a video guy. You have a director of operations. You have fifty. I mean, has it gotten too complicated? Well, you know, I I, I think that. The, the players are so specific in how they work out. I mean, you have a, I'm a coach for everybody. I mean, one coach handles maybe one or two players. Then you have the strength and conditioning guys that they're they're in there. They're 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 your your time when you come in. If you come in at you know nine nine a.m. for an eleven a.m. practice, 
your time is filled up from you know um, strength and conditioning from nine and stretching and then uh, the training the training table just you know getting your body right um, all the way up to eleven then practice from eleven to twelve thirty one o'clock then after that you have your shooting you have your individual work there's a lot of stuff that goes in that we did we did all that on our own we put our own programs together as far as what we wanted to work on we got our own workout partners you know we, we kind of did all they do today but it was all we all did it ourselves now they have so many people there for them that um you know and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it but the players just go from one person to telling them what to do to another person telling them what to do and i don't think they have enough input like if i was working with a guy and he said we're going to work on this and i and i never did that in the game I look at him and go, why am I working on that? I don't do that. Right. Why don't I work on the things I do in the game? I, I'm, I'm never going to do that. Right. So, why, why, you, know, you know, and I see these guys have these really broad-based, you know, um, broad-based um, uh, development programs, and I'm like, why are we having that guy do that? Like, you know, that he's terrible at that. I got news for you. If you're terrible at something and you're 21, you're not going to be NBA ready to do that at 23. Right. If you're good at something at 21, you'll be NBA ready, you know, by in a year or two. But I see these broad-based programs. And back then, we all had our own program that, um, again, like I said, was um, really based towards what we needed to do to play in NBA games. And so I, I, you know, I, I see a lot of, I, I, they do so much stuff, and I see a lot of them wasted time. Like you'll see a guy like, like Keith Smart will be in the weight room. Why in the world would he go in the weight room? That guy's strong. I mean, you, I mean, you might go in there to do some stretching and stuff. That guy, uh, not Keith Smart, uh, Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, yeah. Keith Smart, yeah. Keith Smart. Hell, I'm back in Indiana. Indiana, yeah. Marcus Smart, yeah. Right. Marcus Smart. Excuse me. That guy's strong. Jay Crowder. Those guys. Big need guys. Very yeah. little. Those guys need very little uh, weight room time. Um, they, you know, they just need to work. So, so like I said, you know, guys like that, you you know, back then they'd say, well, I'm not going to lift. I'll stretch a little bit, but I, I don't have any problem. If you don't have a problem pushing people around to the floor, what the hell are you doing in the weight room? You know, you, you use basketball. So, I, like I said, they're, they're there for five or six hours. There's a million different people around them, pulling at them, pushing at them. And a lot of it is really, really good. A lot of it, I'm not sure, is just tailored for that guy to become the best NBA player that he can become. And I think when we when, I, when we did it, we looked at it and we were honest and said, "What do I got to work on?" And that's the program you did. So it's different. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll let you go with this. I, I know you got to run, but with uh, when, when Bird retired, he said that the one game that he thinks about when he was at his peak was that Game Six uh, against Houston, the clinching game in the '86 Finals. I'd be curious if you had a game and you looked at it, if you said, "Listen, I could watch." If you wanted to watch Kevin McHale play one game, if you tell some kid, you know, here's Kevin McHale. When were you at your best? Do you have a game that you think of? You say, "Wow." I'll never be better than I was then. Uh, no, I don't know if I if I could pinpoint one, but you know, it was just for me. It was just a, it was a process of just getting better all the time and working at my game, and um, you know, just came in as a rookie and just trying to learn the NBA, and you know, then by in a few years, you kind of got the NBA down. You were in your, your peak uh, physical. You you weren't beat up with injuries and stuff like that, but. No, you know, I mean, I think there were there were a lot of different periods where you know you stepped on the floor, and you knew you were gonna, you know, you just had you, you were in a spot where mentally and physically and everything that you just knew you were gonna dominate the game and dominate the guy you're playing against, and that's really really fun when you walk out there with that, you know, man, I know I'm gonna get the job done. I just you you just you have supreme confidence that you know you're gonna be able to you know handle all 
all your assignments on that floor. You're going to be able to excel and do everything you want to do. Your team's going to win. It's going to be fun. And there's nothing like that feeling. That that is just that supreme confidence. That just is a it's a fun feeling. That's why we all played, and that's why my you know my memories of Boston were so special because I played with a bunch of guys that had that same mindset, and we won a lot of games. And I think at your best, I think you were the best power forward ever. I know guys had longer careers, but your best, I think, you know, offensively, defensively, you were the best ever. And you can say for 10 days you held the Celtics single-game scoring record, so you did have that as well. Got that going for me, exactly. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys, I, I do have to run. All right, Kevin. Um, good talking to you guys. You take care, okay? I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, sure. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Enough About Me podcast. Actually, you know what? I'm really not thankful at all. You should be thanking me. You get this shit every week, these great podcasts, totally free. Do me a favor. Would you go to iTunes, download it, go to Stitcher, do the same, and leave a rating, leave a review. That's where you can help me out. This podcast is going to be number one again. I guarantee it. And you're going to help me along with the process. So for that, I guess at the end, maybe I will thank you. There's a lot of thank yous going back and forth. Here's the point. Fuck you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.